Headliner Radio, the creative voice. Today we're welcoming LA-based singer-songwriter from Melbourne, Ben Abraham, who's recently released the singles War in Your Arms and Requiem. So welcome, Ben. Thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Always good to hear. And how's LA? What are you up to today? Uh, LA's good. I'm going to be honest. I only woke up about 45 minutes ago. (laughs) Okay, okay. That's fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's nice. It's, it's sunny and hot, which I, you know, I guess, I don't know. That's LA, you know. Yeah. Don't rub it in. (laughs) Oh yeah. So you're in London, I'm guessing. (laughs) Pretty much. And it is summer technically. You must be in the middle of summer. Yeah. Yeah. But that doesn't mean anything here, Ben. It means nothing. Okay. The sky is white. That's the only way I'm I can so describe sorry. it. It's just white. I'm so sorry. My <laughs> first ever trip to London was in November of 2015, and I lived there for a month, and it was miserable. And I'd never been, and I hated it. Yeah, that's England <laughs> uh, for you. I just remember. I remember because I I obviously grew up in Australia, and uh, you are so. Generally, the Northern Hemisphere is so much further north. The countries are so much further north than we are south. So it, it just the concept of the sun setting at like 4 p.m. just was so foreign to me. And I remember yeah. in London walking out of a building at like 4.30 and just being like, what? Yeah, that's why we drink, Ben. Got nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I get it. I yeah. Honestly, I get it. When I was going to the pubs there, I was like, this makes sense to me now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, welcome to the ways. But uh, I'm glad yeah. you've got some. But I love London now. Just to clarify, I have since gone back in different times of the year, and I love it. Oh, okay, fine. I'll scratch that headline then. It's going to be yeah, Ben Abraham hates <laughs> London and the whole of England. No, okay, that's good. I'm glad that we've redeemed ourselves ever so slightly. Um, that's yeah. good. That's good. <laughs> so well, I'm glad things are good in LA then. So, um, what yeah. about? Let's talk about. So, what about your childhood? Were you always into music? Have you got a musical family? I, I was. I, I into music is an interesting uh, way to phrase it because I I would say I just grew up without a choice. My parents were both musicians mm-hmm. uh, well before the, I've got four siblings, so well before they had kids, they were um, sort of famous in Indonesia. My dad's Indonesian, my mom's Australian, and they um, they were a touring kind of outfit and had a few hit songs in Indonesia at the time. They then moved to Australia in the 80s and kind of stopped playing music in that context and got very involved in a church and stuff. And so it raised me and my siblings in an extremely musical environment. We all used to sing. I used to sing with my sisters. And then when my brother came along, uh, so I sort of grew up surrounded by music. Uh, so weirdly, I, I wouldn't say that I was into music. I would just say I had no choice. I was in music. You're in music, just <laughs> a way of life. Sense. But I suppose you must yeah. meet people. I've only thought about this over the last few years. I just assumed that everyone was raised with some kind of music. You know, your parents or whoever you live with, everyone yeah. likes music, right? That's not actually the case when you talk to a lot no. of people. I don't mean me for work, but just in general. Um, not everyone that I know has particularly fond memories or big or sorry memories that stand out of their childhood about songs which is so different for me um because we always had music on in the house my dad was a musician like yours Um, my mom's not a musician but she happened to work in the music industry but I have a feeling even if they didn't there just would have always been music on so I just find it really strange when people are like meh I don't really remember any music from my childhood it's like what do you mean yeah (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I've definitely met, I've met people like that where their parents just didn't really play it in the house. They just had, or they, you know, they'd play sort of classical music and things, but it wasn't a feature. It was never a sort of celebrated mm. part of, um, of their growing up. I'd say yeah, it's more like that. a subtle brainwashing for me. Not I'm complaining, it was good music, but, you know, it's no choice, is it? Exactly. That's, yeah, that's, I think that's why I sort of, I don't really say I was into music because actually, really, I wouldn't say I had any agency as a music fan until my 20s. Okay. Um, you know, until, until I start like very late, got into bands like Radiohead and stuff where I was like, wait a minute, I like this. <laughs> as opposed to just kind of being like, well, this is just what I do. This is just what I've grown up in. Mm. So, yeah, it's interesting. interesting what about, can you remember, what was the first music you ever bought with your own money? Now, this could reveal something embarrassing or cool. Who knows? Oh, no, no, no. Deeply embarrassing. Well, um, <laughs> it depends who you talk to. I think it's kind of funny. Uh, but I grew up in a very uh, Christian home. So my first CD that I ever bought, there was a Christian band in the 90s that I listened to their music recently and it made me laugh so much, <laughs> uh, called DC Talk. And they had this live album. I think it was called Jesus Freak. Nice. <laughs> strong name. It was, yeah, yeah, very, very strong name. Uh, it was just like the epitome of 90s Christian culture, which was kind of like, you know, it was like, oh, kids are, you know, Christian kids are not allowed to listen to like hip hop music, but we're going to give them a Christian hip hop band. And it's so funny to listen back <laughs> to now. Um, but yeah, that was my, I th actually, you know what I think it was called? So their, their album was called Jesus Freak. I think the live album was called Welcome to the Freak Show. So that was my mm. first purchase. I remember when I had the money, I bought DC Talk, Welcome to the Freak Show. Wow, what a provocative <laughs> title. They were really I know. Mixing it up, weren't I, they? they were well, you know, you gotta sometimes you gotta you gotta shock those little Christian kids. That's right. And what about <laughs> the first um gig you went to without parents? Or did you see them? Did, did they perform it live for you? Uh <laughs> no, I never saw my parents perform in, in that context of music. Uh, but that's a good question. Let me think. I, so this is one of the interesting things that, um, that I often have to confess to people. Uh, I'm not a huge music fan. Oh, in the that sense is that unexpected. I know. I Obviously, I do like music. Uh, I mean, I love music and I, th there's plenty that I listen to that really moves me, but I don't I am not the consumer of music that I hope my fans are <laughs> in the sense that uh, I don't like even just when it comes to gigs, because often like my favorite bands will come through. Like I remember Radiohead coming through Melbourne a few years ago and I just wasn't going to buy a ticket, even though they are my favorite band in the world. It wasn't until a friend was like, you're an idiot. I'm buying you a ticket and we're going. And then of course I went and had the best time. Mm. But so I just don't like, I don't like going to live music. I don't see a lot of live music. Uh, so when I think. When Your I manager's going to, you're in so much trouble. No, They're going to bring me up. He hates no. England. He hates music. Yeah. He hates live music. <laughs> <laughs> he can't use any of this. <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, I, I'm quite an awful person, but that's why my music. <laughs> that's another <sucks>. one. <laughs> no, I've got to, I've got to fool people into thinking I'm a nice guy. Uh, so let me think, what was my first gig that I went to? It feels like that shouldn't be hard to answer because it probably wasn't that long ago. 
Uh, I mean, look, it was, to be honest, it was probably one of my friends in Melbourne. Um, there's a singer there called Georgia Fields. Okay. Who uh, she, yeah, she, when she started playing shows, I, I think I went along to one of hers. Um, okay. That's fine. Yeah. That's fine. And um, is this correct? I've seen this somewhere. Were you, did you originally want to be a screenwriter, but you began yeah. songwriting when I you were working do. in a hospital? I still wish I could be a screenwriter. I don't oh. think I can. I don't think I'm good enough. Uh, I have friends that are actual writers and I, I talk to them about story and I'm like, oh, damn it. Yeah, you're a lot smarter <laughs> than me. <laughs> but yes, there's, you know, I think that's the interesting thing. I am much more a film or like a screen fan than I am. Uh, so if there's a music festival and a film festival on in Melbourne, I will ignore the music festival and sign up for 30 films at the film festival. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think, and it's interesting. I mean, so I studied that out of school. Um, with I did a, a like a diploma to study screenwriting with the intention that I would then go and do an actual like degree in filmmaking. And in the process of the screenwriting course, I then um, kind of through this job that I had at the hospital started playing music um, for sick kids. And then I, I think I just kind of realized how immediate and frankly how much easier it is to make music. Um, and bearing in mind, like I'd grown up playing music with my family and things, it just never crossed my mind that I would want to do it for mm. myself. Uh, but I remember in that, you know, in that job, picking up a guitar and playing songs and just being like, oh, this feels, this feels like it's coming to me a lot more naturally. Um, and so I kind of very quickly sidestepped the screen, the dreams of my screenwriting career. But because of that, it just means somewhere in the back of my head, I'm still like, but maybe I have some great screenplay <laughs> in me. You never <laughs> know. Sure. Maybe it will develop over time. Hey, you never look. It's been 15 years. <laughs> Nothing's <laughs> happened, but it might still happen. It might still happen. An exclusive there as well. Wow. Yeah, um, yeah. So you when heard it here first. you have um, obviously worked on a lot of music, despite preferring film, etc. But um, so I saw your self-released debut LP uh, Sirens was out in 2014 yeah. and then it actually had a re-release in 2016 or a reissue should I say so yeah. obviously it kind of got re-picked up again or rediscovered in some kind of way so what, what are your memories of that and how did that LP change things for you to suppose pursue music perhaps um, when you hadn't planned to yeah it's it's interesting that whole it feels like such a blur to me now but it I, I do remember in the moment, um, I mean, that was really that experience of putting that album out. So the reason that there were two kind of release dates is the first, the first release date was me putting it out myself. Uh, and then the second release date was it being re-released through a record label that signed me. Um, and that whole experience of making that album, which I crowdfunded and did it with some friends in Melbourne and we, you know, kind of found the finance to make it ourselves uh, to then get signed through that album, essentially um, secretly Canadian signed me um, and we, you know, put it out again through them. That was the transition for me to being a full-time musician. Like up until that point, I still right. had to have my day job and still, you know, and I, I always felt like I was building towards it, but that was really the turning point where suddenly I was like, whoa, I had like that, you know, they gave me like a, a little bit of money on signing and suddenly I had a team of people helping me 
do what I had always just done myself. So、mm. I was like going to London for a month to play a couple of shows and like traveling to the U.S. to do small tours and things.、Um, so it was really exciting. It was, I will say, it was the beginning of what I have learned in my music career to be this feeling of. I don't think this, this feeling ever disappears. I think when you're self-releasing, it feels like you're kind of pushing this boulder up a hill, and it feels like, oh, at some point, someone will jump on board this machine and take over, and the boulder will tip over the edge and start rolling down the other side.、Uh, signing to the label, I realized, was just a different version of the boulder of kind of still pushing it up the hill and being like, oh, we're still working towards something.、Mm-hmm. Um, so that. When I reflect on that, that's what I remember: is that feeling of like, oh, this isn't like the end <laughs> of my hard work. This、mm. is kind of the beginning of a whole different、um, set of rules and things, and you know. So it's it's really it's really interesting reflecting on on that. I mean, that also, I, sorry, I'm ra- I'm rambling now, but I, I had also spent a lot of the first. Establishing years as an artist, being kind of ignored by the Australian music industry. My audience would build, but the industry itself wasn't really interested in what I was doing. And so that was also the first time that suddenly, like a record label that had cool artists and was a bit of a name, was interested in my work. And you know, it was a lot of feelings all at once.、Mm. And would you say has your ch- songwriting changed much since then? Has it developed into a certain style? Do different things inspire you now? Yeah, I think hugely.、Mm. Uh, I think, I think that the core of who I am as a writer is probably the same,、um, in the sense that I'm I'm always looking for a way to tell the truth of whatever we're writing about,、um, even if that's just a dumb, fun song to dance in a club to, or if it's like writing about some kind of trauma. I'm always interested in like. Digging to the core of what it is, and then making sure that every aspect of the song reflects that. I think that that probably really that instinct comes from my screenwriting studies, where you know every scene is supposed to point to the central premise of what your、mm-hmm. film is about, and kind of not wasting any screen time with pointless things.、Uh, so I think my approach has always been the same. But when I think about the songs on the new album compared to the songs on the first album, I just have a way steadier hand. Uh, I think I'm more interesting as a human being. I think my vocabulary is more interesting. My musical vocabulary is more interesting.、Um, I'm also like I have an edit button. When I listen back to some of those songs on Sirens, there's just I feel such affection for them and I love them. But there's a lot of bloat. I think like、mm-hmm. there's a lot of me as the writer I am today would love to take the writer I was then and just edit. Just be like, hey, you can simplify. You can achieve what you're trying to achieve. In less time, in less words,、um, yeah. But I, you know, I haven't said that. I'm still super proud of those of those songs. But、um, yeah, I, I listen to the songs now, and I just feel I'm on a whole other level. And and I've also, you know, maintained, managed to maintain. I, I hope the kind of truth telling aspect of what I'm doing.、Mm, yeah, well, it's it's easy to look back in hindsight. Anything, isn't it, and change、Always. things and. You know, you could be tweaking songs forever. You got to call it a day at, w- at some point, haven't you? So yeah, that's right. That, that's fair, I think.、Um, and of course, you're always you're a songwriter, of course, but not just for yourself. So you co-wrote Kesha's、um, Grammy Award-winning comeback song "Praying," which was a huge, huge song. So、um, how did you get involved with that then? And what are your memories of writing this and、uh, how it came together? 
But I, I'll just clarify. It wasn't. It was Grammy nominated. It didn't. Oh, nominated. Win. Only nominated. No. Oh god. No. What a failure. No. What? <laughs> we lost. I don't it even want to talk about for, it anymore. <laughs> no, it was nominated for best vocal performance, okay. and we lost to Ed Sheeran. Oh, Ed Sheeran. Sh- He's everywhere. Like He's you. got enough attention. Come on, Ed. I know. Uh, I mean, Ed Sheeran's amazing. I don't. I don't know if I personally think Shape of You is a better vocal performance than, but also awards are weird for art. Uh, yeah. Anyway. Um, no, I know what you mean though. It's not known for its, it's a catchy song. Everyone knows it, but it's not known for its vocal yeah, performance, I is just, it? You know, you don't often listen to it and think, wow, that, <laughs> that vocal performance is next level. Mm. Uh, so praying, praying was a really um, interesting process. I, the, one of my managers, I have two managers. One of my managers at the time was working for the same management company that managed Kesha. Mm-hmm. And so in, I think it was in 2015, when I was in one of my trips to LA, I got an email saying, Ben, would you be interested in writing with Kesha? And I mean, at the time, you got to remember, I was signed a secretly Canadian. In my head, I thought I was like, maybe that like, maybe the next Sufjan Stevens, uh, at least was like what I thought I was attempting to do with my music. Um, so the opportunity to write with Kesha was so absurd and funny to me that I was like, absolutely. But also I was like, what the hell? Uh, and so I went and did a day with her and another producer in LA. And I'll be honest, I was going in not judgmental. I'm never judgmental about anybody that I work with, but I was certainly like, this is a really weird pairing and I don't really know why I've been invited here, but this will be a good experience to laugh about. It turns out she is so smart, so talented, so interesting as a person. I already knew she was smart. You know, there's like rumors that she's got a genius level IQ, which I asked and it turns out it's not actually a rumor. Uh, So she's super intelligent. Yeah. She's like, you know, amazing, um, amazing brain. Mm. And then as a writer, just brilliant. And I, I remember coming out of that experience kind of being like, oh, I've completely misunderstood and misinterpreted <laughs> this human being yeah. uh, and was an instant fan forever from that day forward. And then about nine months later, I got a call from same management um, to let me know that Ryan Lewis had this idea for a song that he wanted to write um, and they connected him up with me to begin this idea of a song for Kesha. And he happened to be coming through Australia. So we sat in my Melbourne studio and, um, and over an afternoon, he showed me this idea that would become praying. And we started the idea and it helped that, you know, I had met with her, I'd met her. And so I knew, enough of her story to get the kind of foundation of this idea. And we wrote, um, we wrote what we could in that little studio, just at my piano. And then he took what we began to Kesha and, um, and we finished it all off together. And I, I will say, you know, I often, I feel like I've hear, heard people ask questions on podcasts like this, like, did you know that it was something special when you were writing it? I think we did. I uh, my recollection is that as we were writing, it was like, "Oh, this feels really important." Mm. And and then when I heard the vocal come back, 
I was like, oh my God. Like he would send me little videos, snippets of them working in the studio because I was still in Australia and they were in America. Uh, just little snippets of her tracking the vocal. And I just was like, oh my God, this mm. is going to be amazing. So yeah, that was such a wild experience. I mean, that from from my Melbourne studio all the way through to playing that song at the Grammys, um, it was a really crazy and fun experience that I'm so glad that I got to have. Mm, incredible. And I remember seeing her perform it and she was very emotional uh, for obvious reasons for anyone that knows yeah. her backstory, what she'd been through. It's a really, really powerful song, perfect for whatever she was going through at the time. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised yeah. you're proud to be part of that. Um, and so you've also written for Demi Lovato, as you know, Michael Moore, The Chicks, among others. So how does your songwriting differ when you write for yourself and others? Do you sort of tap into different um, pools of inspiration there? Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously a lot more free if I'm writing by myself. I also, my pace as a writer is pretty slow. I like to really take time with things. In fact, I often like to do a little bit and then step away and then come back to it, you know, sometimes months, sometimes years. There are songs on my album that took like five or six years to finish because oh, I like okay. to labor over things or I like to write something and then reflect on it later and say, okay, this actually isn't working or I don't feel how I want to feel by this line. So what do I need to change about the lines before it to get to the feeling that I'm looking for? Things like that. Uh, but obviously when you're writing with people, uh, in, in uh, maybe people don't know this, but um, these days if you're doing songwriting for other artists, it usually happens in one day in a session and there's very little opportunity for editing later on. Um, often you're just, it's all got to come to you in the moment. It's all got to happen as you go. Um, and so it's a, it's a very different pace. It's a very different. And I've had to learn to kind of, I've had to learn to carve out my own little role in that process because I, I get exhausted if I'm completely immersed in that world for too long because I'm such a slow writer. And if I'm around that pace too much, it makes me doubt my own writing and it makes me, you know, it frustrates mm -hmm. me creatively. And I, I, I start to sort of see, I start to see the workings of the machine rather than the thing that we're trying to make. And it can kind of kill my spirit a bit. So it's been, it's been really interesting and, and, you know, much to my manager's um, chagrin, I'm sure my credits are not as long as they wish <laughs> they were because I, because I'm much more selective about kind of how I do that process. But yeah, it's writing with other people is exhausting. You know, imagine, imagine being told that you need to sit with a complete stranger and come up with a great idea. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't know them. You don't know their personality. You don't. Know, and I'm also very introverted. Um, so imagine, you know, being essentially locked in a small lounge room uh, for six hours and just having to meet somebody for the first time, having to dig into their kind of psychology, learning how to navigate. What's their personality? Is this person a control freak? Is this person going to look to me to be in control? Is this person wanting? me to play therapist or are they wanting me to just take charge and mm. you know all of those kind of questions are at play simultaneously in those experiences um so you know every experience is is chaotic and different i mean the chicks was super intimidating 
I was, I found out right as we began that I was their first songwriting session in 11 years since wow. they had put out um, Taking the Long Way, that, that our huge album. Mm. Uh, and then took a huge break. And I'd seen like the documentary about them. So I knew enough about what they'd been through. And then they were like, so we're getting ready to make our new album. And, and I was sort of, I'm always pretty honest when I go into these things. I'm like, just so you guys know, I, I, every songwriting session I begin kind of convinced that I don't know how to write songs. And they were like, we're the same. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I was kind of hoping that they would Give you be the in control. And I would, exactly. <laughs> and that I could just sit in the corner and be like, that sounds great. Uh, keep going. So, you know, that was, an, that was an interesting one. And it was, it was tough. Like, I, I mean, I, they, they were all so lovely and we all got along, but I spent the entire time like, you know, feeling like, what am I doing here? Mm. I did not deserve to be in a room with the chicks. And uh, yeah, I was so surprised that what we wrote made it on the record. And then I, and I, but of course I loved it. Like I listened to that song and I was like, wow, it, it really is special in the context yeah. of that record. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. It's, I haven't done many writing sessions since um, because of all those things that I just, that I just mentioned. And it's, I'm in awe of people that are able to do it and do it quickly. And, you know, and do, I have friends that do seven sessions a week out here. Wow. Seven different people. Yeah. Intense. It's, it's like they don't break a sweat. <laughs> I would be in a body bag if I had to do that for <laughs> a month. No, it sounds very intimidating to me, but obviously I'm not a songwriter, but um, it does that process. You said put in a room with someone you don't know, don't anything about them, their personality, what you're supposed to tap yeah. into. Yeah, can only imagine. I think it is intimidating, but it's also like, you know, maybe, I don't know, some people don't seem to have this sort of social anxiety that I do. Um, yeah, it's also because to me, songwriting and music is somewhat vulnerable. So you're also expected to be immediately vulnerable with people that you don't know that well. Yeah. Um, yeah. And maybe some people are just able to dive into that. I I can do, it's funny I can be conversationally vulnerable but musically vulnerable it, it's a different thing for me different thing yeah and so on to your own music so the first single off your upcoming album am I allowed to mention the title or is that a secret of the album I mean uh that's a good question what's what is the, when is this podcast well it, it'll be out soon that the date is uh, to be confirmed at the moment it, it could be planned around oh, your answer fine. um <laughs> that's fine but um wasn't sure if we were allowed to say but that's fine if not no well i i don't it feels dumb let's just say it okay let's just say it well you can say it <laughs> um well yeah so my album's called friendly fire and it comes out next year Oh, next year. Okay, so you're a little way off then, but... Um... Uh, yeah, unfortunately, they keep moving it. So it was initially going to be August 27th, and then it was going to be October 20th, and now it's January 22nd. Okay, so we've got away, but to tide us over in the meantime, so your first single was War in Your Arms. So yeah. why was this one chosen as the lead single? Uh, this was... This was an interesting song on the album for me because uh, it's kind of the song that got me signed to Atlantic Records. Um, so when I was still with Secretly Canadian, I was on a hiatus from touring and, and beginning to sort of prepare and think about the next record. And I had just done a, a bunch of songwriting sessions and I was in LA and one of the things they got me to do was demo existing songs that I had. 
And one of the songs that I had um, was this song, War in Your Arms. And I had made a piano vocal demo that we started through my publisher, started to send around to different artists, not, not for me to sing, but thinking like we could give this to Kelly Clarkson. And in fact, that was one of the people we sent it to. Oh. And, um, and her A&R at Atlantic Records heard the demo and called my manager and was like, who is this? And why is he signed to a little indie, to a cool label? Mm. <laughs> I don't think this guy might is very cool, uh, but, you know, would he be interested in kind of working with us? So through that song, I then, you know, I ended up ultimately getting signed by Atlantic Records. Um, and it became, it was very much uh, the team there. The team there loved that song a lot. And it became kind of the yardstick by which we kind of made the rest of the album. I mean, a lot of the other songs on the album had been written and things, but especially as far as production and as far as um, quality of song and the bigness of these songs, everything was held up against War in Your Arms. And it was like, is this song as big as, is this song as intense as, is this song as truthful as War in Your Arms? Um, so, you know, there was always a lot of intensity and pressure around that particular song. Yeah. And when it came when it came time to find a producer for the album, I always knew that I wanted to make the album in the traditional kind of Peter Gabriel way where I had one producer across the whole thing and we would collaborate together on these songs. Uh, so because of that, uh, it was really hard to find a good producer that could not only tackle the expectations of a song like War in Your Arms, but then also like would be willing to go the distance with me for the album. Um, and, you know, like I had because of being signed to Atlantic, it was great. I had meetings with like some amazing people like Greg Kirsten and um, diff just different super producers. Um, the problem is, you know, when you're at that level, often you'll take a song, but it's like, why would you take on a whole album project when you could just do 12 different songs with 12 different artists? So finding the right producer to do it was really tough. And what we ended up doing was using War in Your Arms as the way to find the producer. So we just started sending it out to different producers. I would meet with different producers and we would basically say to them, what would you do with this song? We would give them the piano vocal and we would say, whatever you do with this song will kind of tell us if you're the right producer for the album. Um, and so it was through that process that I met um, James Flanagan, who is from England actually, and he produced the album. But what he did with War In Your Arms was so special and we just instantly were listened. I, mean, I have 10 versions of War In Your Arms on my computer from all different producers. But James' version was so special and huge. It just, it captured the emotional scope of the song. It was intense. It felt classic. So he maintained the kind of traditional sound of the songwriting, but also felt like fresh and exciting. And there were ideas that were new. Um, so once that came in, all of us were just like, well, this is obviously the first single off the album. Like this is, this is the introduction to like the world of like, hello, I'm Ben. This is the next piece of work. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of thrilled with how all that came. I mean, it was an exhausting process and there were definitely days when I hated that song and I was like, I never want to hear it again, just because, you know, finding the person to do it, like there would be a couple yeah. of, I would meet with producers and feel like it went well and then they would turn it down or things and I would just start to lose faith. Um, but yeah, now that when I listen to it, I'm like, hell yeah, we fought, 
we fought to get here and it and I think it worked. Mm, absolutely. It's a really, really good song. I urge anyone listening to go and check it out if you haven't. Um Thanks. I can see why you picked it. Um I can obviously see why you picked it. Not that I've heard the rest of the material of your album because that's out next year, but it, it does make sense to me. And um I saw your video where they played it on the radio for the first time. So <laughs> I love that. You've written songs for many others have assumedly all been on the radio. Do, I guess it does it never get old to hear your song on the radio then? It's, I mean, yeah, it was, it was so special. I mean, it's, it's, and look, it was my friend's radio show. So it's, uh, but it's like, it was a, it was a big, it was on one of the big commercial yeah. networks in Australia. It was a very, it was a nice like watershed moment for me. Cause yeah, that has not happened with my music before. So I was okay. thrilled. And what about the inspiration for that particular song? It's quite a heavy sort of big epic yeah. song. So I'm guessing something. Well, this is, so this is an interesting question. And I think that this touches on, uh, this touches on the life of a songwriter and and the way that we, we work Um, because the way that that song came together and I've actually, I've just been um, putting together my own little kind of audio. I don't even know what it is. It's like podcasty behind the scenes kind of thing about this yeah. song. And I just called my friend Helen, who I wrote the song with to t- sort of talk to her about this. Uh, but what's interesting about this particular song is that the way we wrote it was not telling a specific story. Uh, I began the song by walking through the city of Melbourne and I heard uh, a busker, like a street performer, um, playing, uh, playing on the street corner. And I remember thinking, if I was ever busking, what kind of song would I want to play? And as I walked down the city, I heard this big minor chord and I just wrote the chorus as I walked through the city. Um, and it didn't feel connected to anything. I was just writing. They just felt like melodramatic lyrics. I could have been a fighter. Um, and I remember calling Helen and being like, oh, my God, I've just written the cheesiest, funniest chorus. We should finish this song. Mm. Because bear in mind, again, I was in my head, I was Indonesian Sufjan Stevens. So I didn't, I didn't sing big epic choruses like this. Um, so Helen and I got together and we finished the song um, at my parents' house in, in the woods in Melbourne, just outside of Melbourne. And we, you know, this is where I think it's interesting as songwriters, we both know what we're doing. We'd never really written like what we perceived to be pop music at the time, but we we both were writing folk stuff and we, we knew how to tell a story truthfully. So we, we took the time to say, okay, what is this song about? It's clearly about a relationship that's kind of nearing the end. And we told that story the best way we knew how, but it's not like at any point either of us were like, and you know, I've gone through this. And so we're writing like this, which, you know, isn't really how I would normally write. Uh, What's been interesting. So, you know, then over the years, that's why it was so easy for me to go like, let's give it to Kelly Clarkson. Let's give it to this other person. And I have versions. I've got a version of Callum Scott singing it. I've got a version of uh, an American artist called Stenage singing it. And ultimately Atlantic were like, Ben, we really love your voice on this song. We think that you should sing it. And for a while I wrestled with that because I was like, it doesn't feel as, as deeply truthful as some of the other songs on the album, which were not written in that way. And we're, were much more autobiographical. Um, but it wasn't until I went into like really cutting the vocal for it in the studio that it occurred to, when I listened, when I looked at it in the context of what the rest of the album was and was about, 
I realized how kind of perfectly it fit the overall narrative um, because the album tells one story and I, I was very intentional about every song in some way being related, like with a film, every scene somehow pointing to the central premise. Every song for me needed to somehow point to that central premise. Um, I reflect on War in Your Arms now and I'm like, wow, it actually is deeply personal. I think, you know, I was, I didn't realize at the time, I was at the end of a relationship and things were difficult. I just wasn't cognizant of it when I was writing. Um, I wasn't being intentional, but I think my subconscious was kind of, you know, investing the song with meaning. Mm. So it's an interesting one. And now when I sing it, now I can't believe that I ever considered giving it to someone else because it does feel so personal and it feels so truthful to me. So it's, what, it's, it's an interesting example of how I think as an artist, you can sometimes make things and in the moment say, yeah, I don't know if this really means much. And then later on, you can reflect on it and say, wow, I, I don't think I realized how much of myself was going into the work that I made. Mm, right that does make sense again all easy to look back in hindsight isn't it always um, to what you yeah. were doing at the time and how did I not notice or whatever yeah That's so right. um I assume you don't want to or can't or probably a bit of both give away too much about um the album that's out um next year but what what kind of things can your fans expect from that album in terms of I don't know sounds did you try anything new is there anything you think will surprise uh, people I think yeah, let me, th- I, let me imagine that someone's listening to this in the future when the album is out. Okay. Podcasts are forever. Um, but also it's something that would create a bit of excitement. So I, I guess for me, what I hope when people listen to the album, I hope that they go in knowing that it tells one story. I was really inspired by my, my North Star for the making of this album was Hounds of Love by Kate Bush, the album. Yeah. I was obsessed with the way that she structured her that album in two halves, that the front half was kind of loaded with like hit songs and then the back half tells this one narrative. Um, I basically did exactly the same thing for this album. Um, so a lot of the singles that are about to come out in advance of the album are the front half of the album and then there's a middle point and then the back half really tells this one continuous story um and i you know because of that i hope people just pay attention to some of the details that sort of there are characters that show up across different songs and there's like it was a very considered piece of work it was not you know sometimes the way artists make albums these days is they just do they write a hundred songs and they work with a hundred different people and you kind of pick the best of the lot uh this album for me was not really that I, I went in saying any writer that I would work with, I would say, okay, here's the story that I need to tell. How do we tell it? So maybe I wrote multiple songs, but it would be like five songs trying to tell that one story. And then I would go, it's perfectly captured in this song. So let's go with this one for Mm -hmm. that kind of chapter of the story. Um, So yeah, I hope people listen to it kind of, kind of ready for that. And then, you know, I think sonically it's so much bigger and more dramatic and more exciting than and I think my first album, my first album's a real state of being. I think it's got a real ambient quality to it. It's kind of a mood that you can put on. I think this one's different. This one's a bit more aggressive in its production. I mean, even War in Your Arms is an example of this. There are just bolder choices. And um, yeah, I, I, I love it. I think it's the best work that I've ever made. 
um, I'm really proud of it. And yeah, I hope, I hope people connect. Uh, otherwise <laughs> I'll be out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> Back to screenwriting. Back to screenwriting, which was a very lucrative career choice for me. <laughs> could be one day, never know. You're working up to be. it. You're working up to it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. So what about um, any plans for any shows? Maybe you're already doing some. I don't know what it's like in LA at the moment. I am. Uh, well, yeah, I'm actually at the moment. So I'm actually coming to London to play at the Omera. Um, oh, okay. Which will be interesting. I mean, l- l- part of me definitely thinks like how is that even possible (laughs) given the state of the pandemic uh but i'm told that it's still going ahead um and then yeah a couple of shows just a few like preliminary shows i've got one in new york on the 14th and then one in uh, la on the 21st okay um just to sort of acoustic shows to start getting me back into the swing of playing live Mm -hmm. um it's been so long i don't don't even know if i know how to play guitar anymore (laughs) Yes, we'll find out. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I really miss that, actually. I really, I've, I'll be honest, I've probably started going a little crazy um, without having the live music aspect. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I realized that until, until these shows kind of came up and I was like, oh, I forget that there's a whole part of my musical personality that hasn't existed for almost two years. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I miss it because there's something, I think it's so much easier to delude yourself that things are going great if you're playing to a room of 100 people that are just really engaged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when you take that away, when you don't have that experience, all you can do is sit on your phone and swipe up and yeah. just like, it's different. All you can do is hope, like, a pe- like I just stare at the streaming numbers of my songs that have come out. And it's like, I think it's going well. Okay, we need to get you out on the road. This isn't painting a good picture. <laughs> Refreshing the screen. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny. I mean, that's that's sort of all you've had to do or it's like you do TikTok and then, you know, I'll, I'll do a TikTok of one of my songs and a few people will be like, wow, this is great. And then I'll do a stupid TikTok of me singing about some random thing and it'll get a million views. And then you're like, oof. <laughs> I also make yeah. music. <laughs> yeah, TikTok's so crazy. That's a different beast, isn't it? Things it can go really, viral on there that you'd never expect, and that's right. And then suddenly, lives. well, yeah, and then suddenly you're sort of obsessing about posting more viral content, but it's got nothing to do with the album that you made. And you know, <laughs> and then the label are calling, being like, "This is great. We love the engagement. We love what you're <laughs> doing. But could you just post about your record again?" And then you do a post about your record, and 400 people watch it. And then you're like, well, "I don't want to do that again." And it just gets in your head. Mm. Um, so I think playing live. I think also just because I just have done so much of that and love that world. Um, yeah, I think that that's going to help my mental health a lot. <laughs> just yes. to be back in front of audiences and playing and being like, ah, okay, this is what I'm best at. This is why I'm of use to the world. Yeah. Well, I hope for your sake that your fans enjoy going to live music more than you do, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah, no, I, I think... I think that that's, yeah, I hope the same thing. <laughs> now, they're going to be there. They're going to be there. Everyone is just so keen in England to start going to gigs and events. Um, there's been a oh, few festivals, same. I think, and some gigs starting up again. But it all feels a bit, oh, not sure yet type thing. So yeah, I'm yeah, sure you'll yeah. be welcomed wherever you go. 
with open arms so um thank you yes I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what you come up with then i'll look out for i guess your social media then for now to see any new yeah. announcements about any new singles and of course your music next year um so yeah that's been great so thank you so much ben for thank taking you. the time to join us on the podcast today oh thanks so much for having me it's been it's been fun you're very welcome you're very welcome well you have a lovely day or evening and oh no it's morning there isn't it because you've only been up an hour and 45 minutes or whatever it is now so (laughs) i'll let you go and maybe have another cup of coffee and um (laughs) hopefully see you live sometime awesome that'd be great amazing cheers ben headliner radio supporting the creative community